You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seek Up, the Yoga Inspiration Show. It really means a lot to me that you tune in and share this space with me each week. It keeps me motivated to keep going. And I wanted to share with you how touched I am that so many people over my travels this summer shared with me that they're tuning in to these episodes each week and that you are really inspired by what's being shared here and the conversations that are being uh, held in this space. So I am really, really appreciative of that. It gives me motivation to keep going. I am back home in Miami now, and the weather has changed. It's not oppressively hot like it is in the summer. And I say that, but I also really love the summer in Miami because it's also kind of like the height of tropical fruit season. That's when mango season happens, and it's hot and humid. And we came home, and in here in Miami, the the temperature has pleasantly shifted so that the evenings are cool. And, you know, I mean, cool is always, of course, relative. It's still, as I say, I'd like to say to my husband, who's from Denmark, hotter than it ever gets in the country of Denmark here. And it would still, and it's considered that the weather is cooled off. So, you know, I'm from South Florida, from Miami specifically, and I grew up here and I really love the hot, humid weather. I got to say, it's home to me. And I love the sunshine. I love the beach. I've been at the beach two times since I've been home for a swim and almost every day just for a walk. I really enjoy going for just a walk on the beach and I really enjoy walking around in general. And I think it's probably my favorite mode of transportation if I had to choose one. One of the things that I really enjoyed about being in Europe over the summer, in addition to just spending time with Tim's family in Denmark and trying to say uh, some new words in Danish, which I don't do very well, um, but but I try my best, you know. Um, one of the things I enjoyed the most was how, you know, how walkable all of the cities are that I went to and how you can really, how not only can you walk, but that walking is so much integrated into just a part of your everyday life so that instead of thinking, well, now I've got to go for a walk because I want to get some fresh air, it's just this question of, well, it's time to get the groceries. So we have to walk down to the store or I want to get a, a juice, so let's walk over there. Or if we have to walk to the metro station or something like that, there's just so much um, walking built in. And and this time when we were in Denmark, we stayed at the top at, of, uh, of, of the staircase, which was like a sixth floor walk walk up is what we would say in the US and in Denmark you'd just say the you'd say the fifth floor because there's this thing where in Europe the ground floor is kind of zero and then the first floor is what people in the United States would call the second floor. We don't have a ground floor here in the US. It's just one, two, three, four, and then up. So this is interesting. So when you have an apartment on the fifth floor in Denmark, it's on the American sixth floor. So you do have to walk up um, I think you do end up walking up I don't know, five or six flights of stairs, but uh, it's, a, it's a walk up, you know, which is fine for your body. But I have to admit that for the luggage, it would be great if there was like a little luggage elevator. Anybody who's been to Amsterdam noted, would might have noticed that on the outsides of the building in Amsterdam, there's a small hook. And that hook is actually for uh, hoisting large pieces of furniture up 
uh, to the various floors of the apartment buildings there because the staircases in Amsterdam are notoriously steep. Sometimes people actually call them ladder staircases. And uh, I've tried to carry luggage up those ladder suitcases. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I needed some help. <laughs> so, so now that I'm back home, we only have the staircase that's in our new Miami Yoga Garage building. The Miami Yoga Garage is fully open, and I went over to practice there today. Such a blessing to be a student and practice every chance I get. I'll be teaching uh, quite a lot and quite extensively, so if you feel like heading over to Miami, I'd love to see you there. One of the things I wanted to just jump on and chat about, in addition to just letting everyone know that I'm home, I made it home safely, I didn't have to do any quarantines, I had to take a COVID test and upload that to a the Verify app to get into the U.S. The U.S. says that it's opening um, for vaccinated travelers who are not U.S. citizens or green card holders in November. It'll probably be a similar procedure where you have to upload your proof of vaccination as well as uh, the negative test and then have that verified, which is relatively simple. The only thing that I'd have to say that was less um, more complicated than usual about getting back into the U.S. was because of these new um, requirements to have the tests verified manually by an in-person, by someone in person, is that nobody can check in online. So everybody has to do a manual check-in. And so I think that does indicate that getting to the airport far ahead of the scheduled departure time is definitely advised when traveling to the U.S. or any country where you cannot check in. The U.K. as well has similar requirements where they're not allowing anybody to check in online. So you can only do the in-person airport check-in, which definitely does create some lines, or as they say in the UK, some queues. So many of you have probably noticed that Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp were down on Monday. It wasn't just your personal social media, but it was uh, actually just an outage. And I wanted to just jump on and chat about that because, hey, one day without social media and what happened? You know, what did you do? What was going on? What did you notice when Instagram was down? Did you look up at the sky more often? Did you actually miss the functionality of any of those social media apps? Um, I would say that I probably, probably missed the messaging aspect of those apps the most. Um, when I had a few messages that I'd sent on WhatsApp that uh, didn't work just connecting all day. And then there were some people that uh, had tried to contact me on Instagram direct message and I couldn't connect with them because of that. And when I shared about this, uh, there were some interesting comments about, you know, how people responded to that extra time. And one of the things that was most perhaps uh, surprising about the responses uh, that some some people said was that they actually felt a sense of relief that social media was down, a sense of, you know, not feeling like they needed to check in and not needed to post something or interact with people online. And, and this idea of that, well, that it was a relief uh, to not actually have the burden of needing to be on social media says a lot about what social media is kind of right now. Uh, everybody loves connecting with friends and family on social media, especially being far away. But then there's this kind of, you know, notion that we have to be on to the virtual world for work purposes and networking purposes. And it, it is hard to find that balance. There are other people who said that, you know, uh, they enjoyed the moments of isolation and just felt that it was really nice to be connected, that the digital air was less polluted and more refreshing. It was just like this sort of, you know, global unplug. Other people said they immediately went over to Twitter and were just like tweeting immediately. Um, other people said, hey, you know, 
this was great. I took a book and actually read a book. And because uh, some people said that they were born before all of these social media apps came into place. So it was easy to just revert back to the pre-social media world. And this was something interesting. Other people said they didn't even notice that it was uh, malfunctioning because they just figured that, you know, they're their data was maybe too low or that something was wrong with their own uh, at their own accounts. So um, that's something interesting the way that everybody everybody just uh, agreed to interact with this in their own way. And I wanted to bring kind of attention to this because if you know me, you know I'm on social media a lot and myself too, even though I'm super grateful for the way that social media allows us to connect, I'm also keenly aware that not everything is working for our best interest in the space of social media. So what I did when all of those apps were down and, you know, I mean, you could still iMessage with people and, you know, text message with people or whatnot to, to get into contact. I, you know, when I was at the beach, I felt like, wow, I'm just, normally I would, you know, share some stories of myself at the beach or take some pictures and share that or whatnot. But I really just felt like I'm just going to be completely at the beach and just put, not even bring the phone. And later that same evening, my husband and I went for a walk and I had uh, we were meeting and he didn't even bring his phone. You know, he just relied on, okay, well, we're, we're meeting at this place. So then we did that. And it was, I guess it was, it was freeing in some ways. And I don't think we'll ever go back to a world without social media, at least not for the foreseeable future, barring some kind of, you know, dramatic national or global change that we can't foresee. But it's important to remember that just like anything that's powerful, social media magnifies and reveals the patterns that are at work in our mind. And the patterns that are at work in our mind are subject to our environment. You know, some of those patterns have been laid down deeply into the fabric of our subconscious so that we aren't even aware of the thoughts that we're thinking. And those are very often working for our benefit and sometimes working for our harm. You know, there is that contemporary neuroscience statistic that indicates that by the time a person is 35 years old, 95% of our thinking is routinized, automated, and deeply programmed into our subconscious. So in some ways, our mind is itself this giant supercomputer and our thoughts are what program the operating system of the mind. So when we interact with social media, those patterns are being amplified and and, uh, being uh, kind of worked and sometimes even built. So the difference per se uh, between interacting with, the, with our daily life and interacting with social media is that to a much larger degree, our experience in the, me- in the realm of social media is built by individuals who are writing code to create an algorithm. And those algorithms pull and work the levers of the intentions and purposes of the companies that own those algorithms. So the programmers at, you know, Instagram and Facebook, they have a particular way that they want to show us our whatever videos, images, photos, or any little videos that appear on, on our on our feed. And back in the day, way back in the day when Instagram was first there, there, there the only algorithm that existed was what, what, what used to be on the Explore page. And now the, the algorithm controls everything. Before Instagram used to be chronological, so you could kind of trust the honesty of the feed. And when Facebook took over Instagram, they essentially changed it to be based on an algorithm. That algorithm is built on engagement. And we know that negative stories, outrage, fake news spread so much faster and get so much more traction than everything else. When you throw in ads and 
then the whole experience just essentially begins to be something totally different than quote unquote real life. The experience of being online ends up being, you know, kind of orchestrated or less authentic, I want to say. I mean, at the same time, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we go offline or anything like that. It's just that, well, it's just that, you know, our attention, where we give our attention is just so important. And when we have ads and algorithmically generated streams of information that are built to, you know, accentuate what is outrageous and what is kind of outlandish, then we end up kind of lacking in the most cherished cherished currency of human experience in our social media feeds, which is authenticity, intimacy, and trust. How do we trust what's in a post? How do we trust uh, what we read and what we interact with. How do we know that it's authentic and it's not something that's just been generated to uh, get more engagement? How do we know that there's a true intimate connection with another real human being on the other side of that social media wall? It gets harder and harder. And I think that having those social media apps down maybe helped many people kind of, I don't know, come back into themselves and come back into a, a moment of freedom, like a moment to breathe, a breath of fresh air. You know, maybe maybe Facebook, Instagram should go on, should go on kind of like a lockdown. Maybe we should have a day where we just get off social media, and then just turn it off. You know, maybe maybe or maybe there's a way to create a social media that has a different type of intention built into its algorithm. You know, that instead of being built on outrage, we could actually try to build an algorithm that um, encourages people to expand their consciousness and expand their limitations and be better human beings. We could amplify compassion. We could amplify goodness. We could amplify good deeds. We could, you know, expand the potential of love and compassion and friendliness and goodness. And we do get that a little bit with those fuzzy animal videos that are shared around the world. But it's not exactly what the platform was built for at this point, you know, um, when those, uh, you know, stories of, of, of intense outrage and fake news start spreading, when negative stories complaining about this or that spread like wildfire, but a calm, clear voice of reason, you know, is just sort of lost in the chaos and the cacophony of all of the divergent voices out there screaming into the wilderness, it feels a little bit overwhelming. And yet, let us not forget that social media is a tool. You know, like any tool, we have to learn how to use it in a way that's aligned with our purpose. If we're given a hammer and we improperly use that hammer, to some degree, it's not the hammer's fault. However, this hammer is not just sitting there inert. This hammer is interacting with us saying, do this with me, do that with me. You know, put these likes here, put these comments there. And it's, um, you know, it, it's creating a currency of, of meaning. And that is not something we're creating democratically. And it's something that is very much behind, um, uh, you know, closed doors and a very opaque sort of corporate culture. There's not a lot of transparency into the, um, you know, inner workings of this uh, very large conglomerate that's uh, controlling a lot of our, the way we consume uh, media, the way we interact with our family, our friends, and, and, and other human beings. So one of the things I like to do is I like to frequently reevaluate the accounts that I follow. I like to kind of play with the algorithm. And I notice that for example, if I click on a Labrador, then I start to see a lot more Labradors. I happen to really like Labrador retrievers, one of my favorite dogs out there. My parents had one, and I think they're adorable. So I click on Labradors because I know I'm going to get more Labradors. And I also click on 
you know, sunrises and sunsets and nature videos and these sorts of things, because I, I can kind of feel that this helps me retool uh, what's going to sh- what's going to show up in my feed. And I also frequently reevaluate kind of who I'm following. And there's two things I look for. And if I'm totally honest, I, I if it's not kind of, you know, an animal account or a nature account or something like that, if it's sometimes a fellow yoga account, sometimes I check to make sure they're following me too, because I kind of like that we're on the same wavelength. And if someone's not inspired by me, I want to figure out, well, am I still inspired by them? So maybe we've gone in different directions and that's okay too. So I check them out. Then the next thing I do is if I notice that there's someone that I'm really inspired by, but I don't see their posts very often. This happens quite often, actually. Then a good trick is to, um, you know, consciously try to interact with their posts, you know, like, comment, and save one of their posts. If that doesn't work, then a really easy trick is to is to unfollow and follow them real quick. So you just do it right there. You unfollow and follow them. And then that kind of communicates to Instagram that, hey, this is like a new person I'm following them. When they show up in the feed again, then I make sure I have to interact with them. And it begins to be like, gosh, I need to really tell this app that I want to see this person's post. It's important to me. And then sooner or later it gets it. But as soon as I stop engaging with that account, then again, they disappear. So it's like, I wish I could just say, you know, always show me those posts, you know, just always leave it in there, but they don't have that feature yet. So this is something that's also important because the flip side of that is if we only engage with accounts that we're, that make us feel like good and comfortable, then we can create an echo chamber of belief. And one of the things that I also like to do is to give kind of a conscious space to actively engage with people and messages that are not aligned with who I am. So someone who I might disagree with, someone who I might find to be a little, you know, just, just challenging in some ways. And I I also uh, give space to the people that I do follow to post divergent views. I try not to unfollow someone whom I respect and whom I'm inspired by simply because they post a view that's different from mine. And this is something I see all the time when I post or share something that is different from someone else, whether it's a choice to be vaccinated, whether it's a choice to get a COVID test, whether it's a choice to travel to Europe while we have a pandemic going on, whether it's a choice to wear a mask or not wear a mask, whether it's a choice to give a physical adjustment or receive a physical adjustment. Uh, there's a lot of people that say, ew, I'm unfollowing you now uh, because you did, you think this or you said that because you, you adjusted the student. I'm unfollowing you because you got the COVID vaccine. I'm unfollowing you because you're traveling to Europe now. I'm unfollowing you. And so there's unfollow. And I try not to do that with people that I respect, who I believe are either a peer, a colleague, or or a leader in the world um, that I, I think I can learn from because I don't need someone to do everything that I do or agree with me in order to learn from them. It's a little bit like, you know, choices and giving space for, again, divergent points of view so that we're not walled off in an echo chamber of belief. And it's important to choose who you want to let represent a divergent point of view. You know, we don't want to expose ourselves to uh, re-traumatizing or, or traumatizing a kind of interactions or abusive or harmful interactions. So it's important that you make sure that you have the emotional and mental space to uh, accept those divergent points of view and that those divergent points of view are presented in a calm, humane, and kind of, you know, uh, open manner that also makes space for your point of view. And, you know, I may be a little naive, but I believe in the ability for human beings to agree to disagree and still respect one another. 
together and to kind of compromise and potentially meet in the middle. And of course, there are certain things that we need to draw a line in the sand about and then not cross that line and hold steady to it. But there are other times when I kind of think that the human, the human zone of compassion is more about giving each other space to go through what our, you know, what our thought process is. So in this way, I'm interested to know what you learned from the day that social media went down. <laughs> and if, uh, if, if you still see my posts, if you follow me on socials, I'd be interested to, to know that. And I'm also interested to know whether you think that social media is a real support for your yoga journey or whether social media um, could sometimes be an impediment to the yoga journey. Are there days when, you know, going online actually made you not want to practice because you were comparing yourself or being jealous of other people? Or were there days where you felt non-motivated to practice and then getting on social media gave you that little push, that impetus to practice? So remember, it's a tool. Maybe one day we'll have a yoga-only social media where the algorithm will be built to uh, accentuate the spiritual journey, expand our consciousness, and highlight and amplify what's good in all of us. That would be the day, right? That'd be fun. I'd sign on for that. Maybe maybe we could make social media fun again. <laughs> so one of the things that many people uh, shared with me when they uh, meet me in person is that they uh, enjoy my sense of humor. So I often uh, have uh, some, so, so some jokes that come up here and there. So if you if you, if you meet me, uh, please know I love to share a laugh. Sometimes that's not always evident in what we share in the online space. And I hope that I've shared some intimacy, some authenticity with you in this moment. And I hope that one day you trust me to be a guide of yours on the journey of yoga. And until then, keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.